Forbes Books presents Sustainable Leadership and Disruptive Growth with David Radlow. Transformation for a new and better world. Here's David. Joining me this week is Jeff Boutel, the CEO of Nature Made's parent company, Pharmavite, a subsidiary of Atsuka Pharmaceuticals. Jeff previously served as CEO of Beechnut Nutrition and worked for major brands like Abbott, Nestle, and Procter & Gamble. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, David. It's great to be here. Jeff, before we talk about you and your leadership journey, let's yeah. talk about Pharmavite. Nature's Made is the market leader in the $17 billion vitamin and supplement industry. When we think about Nature's Made, we think about value proposition of a category market leader with a premium image and in certain cases, pharmacists best recommended in vitamins and supplements. I would guess the primary demographic is college educated women 25 to 64 plus. How far off am I and what is the primary, what is the secondary demographic? Well, you just demonstrated a, a really keen insight into the category already, David. I'm impressed. When you, when you step back and look at the category, I, I, I like to frame it up as it, it, it up until recently it was kind of an older person's category. So, you know, young people think that they're invincible. Then they hit the 40 year mark and have the big birthday party with the black balloons and all that stuff. And then they say, oh, my gosh, I need to do something to take care of myself. And they start taking vitamins. And so historically, our core heavy user has been, um, I'll just simplify it and say baby boomers. But that has rapidly changed. What we're seeing in the category and in our business as well is a lot of younger consumers coming into the category. And there's, there's three reasons for that, which I find pretty intriguing. First is millennials and Gen Z are much more, I think, attuned to proactively maintaining their health. I think, than uh, baby boomers were. Secondly, the pandemic fueled a huge growth in the, in the category. Just a, a laser focus on immunity in particular, but, but well-being in general. And we saw that really uh, affect usage across all age groups, but in particular, the, the, the younger folks. But the third factor, too, is gummies. Historically, vitamins and supplements are primarily tablets and then soft gels. And Gummies are the fastest growing form and highly preferred by, by younger consumers. It's more accessible to them. It's, it's, it's a, an easier way to take vitamins. Um, they typically, younger consumers are not so keen on tablets and soft gels that, that they kind of refer to as pills and so forth. So, so we're seeing a, 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 a real shift in the category in terms of um, um, you know, younger, younger consumers engaging in proactive well-being. You held your first CEO seat at Beechnut Nutrition. At that point, your career, you held several senior leadership positions. Why did you think you were ready to take the lead of that company? Entrepreneurial positive growth mindset or glutton for punishment? <laughs> Probably all of the above, David. Uh, I'll start with glutton for punishment. I, I, I'll, I'll change the words to uh, I love challenges. Um, and I love the whole nutrition space. I had spent a lot of time working with moms and babies. I was a brand manager on Pampers. Uh, I was the general manager of the pediatric nutrition business for Abbott Nutrition in the U.S. So that's uh, products like Similac and Pediasure and 
and Pedialyte. And, uh, you know, this, this was just a, a role that was tailor-made for me because it was my first CEO role, as you mentioned. It was in a space that I just am comfortable with and I, and I, I, I have a passion for. Um, and it presented many challenges in terms of uh, uh, turning that business around. Oftentimes, people who work at big companies like P&G and, and Abbott Nutrition and, and Nestle, um, when they go to a smaller company, the concern is, can you make the transition from a large company where you've got all kinds of resources and budgets and so forth to a small company where you're resource constrained and you don't have the benefit of that big company infrastructure? And I turn it around because I, I, I wasn't a big company person making the transition to a small company. I, I felt that I was always a small company entrepreneur working at the, the large companies. And I always sought out and found those more entrepreneurial types of roles within those companies. And so the transition wasn't all that hard for me. And I'm, I love to roll up my sleeves and get into the business. I love to recruit and put together great teams and, and, and uh, figure things out and uh, be responsive and agile and super close to the consumer. And I love that about BeachNut because at the bigger companies, oftentimes you're not as close to the consumer as you really should be. But uh, that's we did everything at, at BeachNut based on that intimate, close understanding and relationship that we had with millennial moms. Digging deeper to understanding the categories leading to your core strategy, could you tell us about the category growth and comment, please, on branded competitions such as Nature's Bounty, Nature's Truth, others, and private label? Where is the industry trending beyond this, both nationally and internationally? And where's your, where's your mindset on this? Where is it going? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, the category, it's large no matter which way you slice it. And you're pretty spot on when you mentioned 17 billion. You know, when you, we, we compete primarily in the grocery, drug, mass merchant, Amazon. And really, when you, when you, if you define it differently and start to include natural channel and multi-level marketing and, and maybe expand even the definition of supplements, it could be as big as 30 to $50 billion. All of it is growing strongly behind this a focus on health and well-being. The category, if you go back to 2020 when the pandemic hit, the category, uh, and I'll go back to the, how we were defining it, you know, grocery, drug, mass merchant, and Amazon, it grew at 21%, 21% growth. And this was followed on by growth of 9% in 2021, which is impressive considering it's coming off of a strong and elevated 2020 base. That growth continues uh, in, in the in the low single digits right now, but all of those time periods, 2020, 21, and, and currently, Nature Made outgrew the category fairly significantly, and, and we've been growing market share. Uh, as far as competitive goes, you know, we have seen a, another fundamental change in this category, David, over the last, starting about seven years ago, I'd say. First off, there's a, been a lot of small companies entering the category, and these are entrepreneurs who are developing you know, new ideas, fresh ideas. Typically, it's uh, direct-to-consumer brands, and then sometimes they'll go into 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 brick and mortar. So you see a lot of action and activity, uh, kind of from the ground up. But the other phenomenon is the big global CPG companies have entered the category, and literally none of them were in the category seven or eight years ago. Um, but Nestle has amassed a quite a, a huge portfolio with through acquisitions, so have several several of the other CPG companies. And so 
This is bringing a lot more attention, um, investment, and uh, I think excitement to the category, which which we view as good. It brings consumers down the aisle, and when consumers down the come down the aisle, we benefit because uh, people know us, people trust us, pharmacists recommend us, um, and you know at the core. This is what we do 24 7 365 for the last 50 years is uh, uh, develop and, 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 and sell high quality vitamins. That seems uh, natural, um, so to speak. Uh, I was involved with Eggland's Best and Cage Free and Free Range and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But that the nutrition side of it was that it, it started where where people were obviously interested in food with nutrition and now they're trying to eat up your market share. Now, just a question, what percentage of your business is private label, if any? Uh, very little. We make about a third of one of our largest customers private label products, but, but that's about it. It's all branded. You know, when you think supplements, it's like goodness. How can we best buy value with BOGOs and it seems endless trade promotion? You maintain the premium on shelf pricing of over 25% of the competition. Uh, Nature's Bounty uh, and, and others and 10% and greater than private label on a visit to CVS recently survey, which is really weird because private label is above the com your competitor's brand price. I'm trying to understand and our listeners would appreciate the structural understanding of of this category like this sure it's a it, it's it's a very complex category uh i'll say uh more complex than any category i've ever worked on in my career um and the and the pricing dynamics are certainly more complex than uh, just about everything I, i've worked on before as well and i'll just step back and say you know generally speaking when you look at the category we're the number one brand with an, about an 11 percent market share most number one brands and categories that you look at are are not at 11 percent they're like maybe 20 percent 30 percent sometimes and so on um the number two brand is is you know nature's bounty and they're probably around seven percent and then from there you have a couple four percent share brands and then you have this really long tail two percent one percent half of a percent brands so there's it, it's a very fragmented category and the way to think about it david is you've got broadline brands and that's what nature made is it's a broadline brand it covers your letters from a to z and typically you know single ingredient types of products and we include multivitamins in there so that's where you're going to find centrum and one a day and, and so forth that's about a third of the category you also have another big dynamic which is you mentioned it private label and including walmart's private label that makes up a significant part of the category as well but but that's still broadline then what you see, and this is where you see a lot of those one and two and three percent, you know, kind of brands is in the segment that we call specialty brands and, and, and lifestyle brands as well. You know, and these are the brands that stick to their needing. They do one thing, they do it well, and they've got a certain credibility and they can command a premium price, you know, because of that credibility and, and, and so forth. So that's a space that uh, we are just getting into literally as we speak in a, in a big way. But historically, you know, nature made services that broadline need for consumers on an everyday basis, uh, really um, at an everyday, you know, fair price. And I think we can, well, I know that we command a premium price versus our competition uh, because of our 
strong brand, but but that's really built on the the foundation of an unwavering commitment to quality over the last 50 years, since day one. And that's been important. This this category, you know, if you go back 20, 30 years, um, you know, people have used the word Wild West, you know, until it got regulated. It, it's been very, very important to build that trust. And it has taken us 50 years to build this trust, which has been very hard earned. Um, and as you know, it can take you just, you know, 10 minutes to lose that trust if you go off that path. How do you balance consumer marketing and trade promotion? You can share what you'd like, percentages, dollars, whatever, but where do you see yourself and what you do and why it's important? This is fundamental to why I came to PharmaVite. You know, this, this category historically has not been brand or consumer driven. It's historically been get on the shelf with distribution, heavily promote, um, and then there has been consumer pull uh, and very little, I'd say, industry investment in long-term R&D. So one of the big transformations that we've made over the last five years, uh, and it's difficult because be, culturally speaking, marketing has never been really strong here at, at, at PharmaVite. Now uh, it's world-class. And so we have taken a lot of steps over these last five years to rebalance our investments, looking at everything, including, you know, looking at discretionary spend and then pulling back and redirecting it towards R&D, innovation and and marketing. So the other thing, David, is five years ago, we didn't have an innovation pipeline or capability uh, at all. And we've invested heavily there. And now I'd say we've got, you know, the definitely the industry leading innovation capability and innovation machine. And we can talk about that because it's, it's, it is the, the reason we've been doing so well and that we've got such a bright future. But, you know, I'd say, I'd say that right now uh, we are spending probably four times as much in marketing than we did, say, five years ago. Uh, and it's all very, you know, well thought out, well placed. Uh, we've got a great marketing team that works very closely with our sales organization, which works very closely with our innovation group. So it's this nice, tight ecosystem that we've we've developed and so they all all of the all of the spend and all of the activities work very very closely together when i just see some of those big bottles when i go into costco and other clubs Mm -hmm. i'm thinking these guys must be selling a ton here Uh, perhaps a little bit less on margin but goodness gracious uh, their sales are great along that vein in high volume does the 80 20 rule apply the best movers like omega-3 or vitamin c approved and cholesterol for CoQ10, or, you know, or, or is there the other new emerging things that are coming that are, that are surprisingly to us listeners blowing the doors off in terms of sales? That broad line, just the fact that we're a broad line brand means we have, we have uh, over 450 SKUs that we offer. And, you know, the 80 for the 20 does come into play with us. And, we historically have been strong in the immunity types of products, which really served us well when the pandemic came along. So this is vitamin C, it's vitamin D, you know, zinc, more recently elderberry, and you know, loosely I'd, I'd say multivitamins too, could be considered in, in immunity, but we, we don't. But those have been the really strong sellers for us over the last uh, several years. The other key trends right now, and this is a very, you know, trend-driven category over the years. But, you know, right now, in addition to immunity, the 
the, the other two really big dynamics is sleep and it's uh, mental wellness. You know, 70 million Americans suffer from sleep issues, according to our trackers. 77% of Americans report feeling that stress affects their physical health. And back to immunity, 60% report taking deliberate steps to support their immune system at least weekly. So what we're seeing is, uh, especially during the pandemic, melatonin uh, segment uh, dramatically increased. Uh, fish oil is very strong for us, as you, as you mentioned, CoQ10 as well. And then we have all these other products that we offer on an everyday basis that, as you said, is, is, is when you look at the 20%, 80% rule is, is uh, but they're, they're important for us uh, and our consumers to make sure that we've got that broad offering. It seems that the, the CBD line seems to be a little bit new and some people are staying away from it because it's too correlated with THC. Is that a concern for you guys? Yeah, we're one of those companies who's staying away from it. Back to our roots and our foundations and our principles, you know, we do not launch anything or offer anything that isn't scientifically backed. And CBD isn't until there's clinical, you know, studies, um, safety studies, a reliable supply chain. Uh, it's, it's fully legal. You know, we're, we're not even going to look at it. And so uh, there are trends that pop up that aren't necessarily good for the category. And, and I'll give you a great example. A couple of years ago, uh, an upstart brand launched a apple cider vinegar gummy. So a lot of people take apple cider vinegar with some water in the morning to achieve various benefits. But these folks put apple cider vinegar in a gummy and made some very egregious claims. Um, and to get the benefit of apple cider vinegar that you get from, you know, real apple cider vinegar and, and just drinking it with your, your water, you really need to eat about half a jar of these, these gummies. And so, so if you're taking, if, if apple cider vinegar is something you're using for weight loss, you know, and, and by the way, that was one of the key claims of this brand, you know, that's just uh, counterintuitive. Anyway, this brand was taking off. It just was a fad and it was popular and it, it, it grew to something like, I don't know, $200 million almost overnight. And internally folks were saying, well, gosh, we got to offer apple cider vinegar gummies because of, of look at all the sales, you know? And, and we said, no, it's not scientifically backed. There's absolutely no fundamental reason that uh, this product should even exist, um, especially in a gummy form. And, and, and so we didn't enter into that that segment. Well, they've been hit with a couple of lawsuits in terms of the claims that they've made, and, we, and that's not good for the category that they're doing that. And and actually, the sales are plummeting now. So uh, you know, we we back to that point that I made earlier. It's taken us fifty years to, to to build this trust that we have with consumers, and it could take one false move like that to blow that trust with consumers. Um, if we offer something that's uh, not scientifically backed. And just for the benefit of listeners overall, your, your bulk sales brick and mortar, they come in through the pharmacy channels, CVS, Walgreens, or traditional channels, or superstores. And then I'll follow that up with, you know, what percentage is also going to come from your direct-to-consumer such as through Amazon and through your website and other matters? So we're about $2 billion in retail sales. Our largest customers are, in no particular order here, but the top five-ish are, are, are 
Walgreens and Costco and CVS, Target, Walmart, and of course, all those uh, you know, uh, grocery stores and, and, and mass merchandisers all have pharmacies, of course, uh, within their, their buildings. And vitamins and supplements are typically uh, placed near the pharmacist uh, in, in drugstores, of course, and uh, in, in the other retailers as well. Uh, prior to the pandemic, e-commerce was probably around 12% of our business. And the pandemic really accelerated for us and for everybody else too, obviously, um, the kind of a adoption and, and, and usage of, of e-commerce. We saw our e-commerce sales double up to about close to 25%. It has moderated a little bit to, to maybe around 21% and it's kind of held there. And so we have a, you know, omni-channel is this, this word that's been being used for many, many years. And up until recently, I think it was just a concept <laughs> that people just talk about. Um, but it's become real. It, it, it's, uh, you know, as we look at how our consumers um, buy our products, it is direct to consumer. It's, it's Amazon. It's re what we call retailer.com. So that would be like target.com and Costco.com. Um, and then, of course, brick and and mortar and they all work together and all of the pricing schemes have to work together and so forth and even in consumer usage sometimes a consumer will research a product uh, online and buy it at the shelf or, or even sometimes vice versa so there's a there's a lot of uh, dynamics going on uh, uh, with our retailer channels uh, right now as well just want to follow that up with taking a look at the overall category and what you're selling and on the micro level with all the different SKUs, with customers having barriers and requirements in order to stay on the shelf, yeah. and you're trying to maintain your overall shelf space, if not grow it, mm -hmm. um, would you be kind enough just to go through how you analyze that internally and when you're going to present like a new SKU? whether or not it's going to be a replacement of your existing SKU or whether or not you're going to add to it and try to push. Could you go through that dynamic? Yeah. And we've, we've adopted a, a it, might, it might be, you could call it simple or you could call it, call it elegant. I think it's kind of both, but approach to how we look at the, the category. We, we have a pretty commanding shelf space at most retailers. And it's important to manage that shelf responsibly for the retailer because that real estate isn't getting any bigger and they need every square inch to be as productive as possible. And so uh, we have a pretty sophisticated category management analytics group who, who, who really analyze. And it's not, we don't do it kind of like one size fits all. It's customer by customer. Uh, the movements of the products, um, the types of consumers who are coming into their stores and so forth. And so if we have products that are lagging at a particular consumer, we will target those as uh, items that we want to pull off. But then also at the same time, we want to be bringing in new items, whether they're renovation items or innovation items uh, and so forth. But we, we kind of, uh, as we do our strategic lineup management approach, which is tied in with our R&D and, and innovation and so forth, there's four areas. There's, you know, draft, there's defend, there's disrupt, and there's drive. And so uh, we develop products that have different roles, if you will, uh, as we come to the as we come to to the retailer. So 
a draft or a defend item might be something where you know it's it's a 10 milligram version of melatonin in addition to a five milligram or something like that so it's not breakthrough innovation but it's certainly you know meeting a need or bringing some new news to the the retailer you know a good example of disrupt is uh, uh nature made well blends is which is a new sub brand that we are launching as we as we speak this is pretty disruptive it's uh it's a it's a, a new lineup of 13 items. And as I mentioned earlier, there's this specialty kind of lifestyle brand space. And that's where, where we are. Um, we've designed Nature Made Well Blends to compete. It's not a broad line uh, sub brand. It is a sub brand that is uh, uh, very focused on blended products that are curated specifically to meet the needs um, as of right now, focusing on sleep and stress and, and, and immunity. So that's how we kind of think about the shelf is, is, is again, being responsible and, 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 and knowing that the retailer uh, needs to optimize the, the, their shelf sets. Um, and then we need to optimize, therefore, our um, lineup um, to optimize sales for everybody. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Well, hang on, Jeff. We have to take a break. But coming up in the second part of my conversation with Jeff Boutel, the CEO of Nature Made's parent company, Farmervite, Jeff shares his thoughts on why being a people-focused leader is the hallmark of great leadership. Probably one of my greatest joys is assembling and forming and enabling a, a team to accomplish great things. It's just exponential. To connect with David, go to davidradlow.com. David's book set, The Principles of Cartel Disruption and Secret Stories of Leadership, Growth, and Innovation, are available wherever books are sold. This has been Sustainable Leadership and Disruptive Growth with David Radlow, a presentation of Forbes Books. <laughs>